What in the hell's going on? What the hell is going on? What the hell is going on? <laughs> I don't know what the hell he's talking about. You don't have to know what the hell is on it. What the hell's the matter with these guys? We don't know what's going on. What the hell's going on? Who in God's name knows what it's all about? Hi, I'm Danielle Pletka. And I'm Mark Thiessen. Welcome to our podcast, What the Hell is Going On? Mark, what the hell is going on this week? Well, we're talking about Havana Syndrome. So about five years ago, a bunch of U.S. diplomats in Havana, Cuba, all of a sudden started having this pressure in the head, loss of balance, ringing in the ears, all these mysterious neurological symptoms, and they were completely unexplained. And there was speculation, was there was some sort of weapon being used? And sort of this story happened, and then it sort of went away for a while. And then this started happening in other countries. It's happened now in six different countries. Most recently, Catherine Herridge of CBS News has reported that at least two cases have happened near the White House. So it's happening in the United States Capitol. And so it seems like the Russians have developed a directed energy weapon that they are deploying against U.S. diplomats on multiple countries and multiple continents and including in Washington, D.C. All right. So let's step back for a second. For anybody who hasn't been paying close attention to this, this sounds like, you know, Dr. Strangelove on steroids. I mean, it's something out of Get Smart. You know, Mark, you said that these started being reported by our personnel in Havana. And what is truly amazing is that for at least three years, if not more, these personnel, including very senior U.S. government officials, these are not, you know, these are not young puppies who've just gotten out there and are nervous. These are senior, seasoned, experienced, and well-traveled officials are reporting these symptoms. And for the most part, they are getting the brush off from their agencies, the State Department, AID, and the Central Intelligence Agency. So they're just, you know, they're complaining and they are being accused of making it up and at worst of suffering from mass hysteria. And they can't get anyone to take them seriously. Can you imagine to yourself something like this happening? And you go to your boss up there in the chain of command and they say, what are you stupid? What are you nuts? That's not that's not happening to you. It, it just it's it's heartbreaking. Well, it sounds like they're getting taken seriously now. And that's in part fact, thanks to Catherine's reporting. But, you know, their congressional hearings now taking place. Susan Collins is taking a leadership role up on Capitol Hill in addressing this. Whenever Congress gets involved, all of a sudden things get the administration starts to take things seriously. Anthony Blinken, our, our secretary of state, actually testified on this and told the Senate that he said, here's the hard reality right now. We do not know what caused these incidents. We do not who, if anyone, is actually responsible. I don't know that that's true, that we don't know. The reality is, is that it seems like most of the victims are related to Russia, (laughs) are involved in spying on Russia or have Russia-related portfolios. And it's happening in places like Havana, where the Russians have had a long relationship with the Cuban regime and basically consider it a satellite country. And in other places, and it's happened in Moscow against U.S. officials. 
if you go and just look at the pool, I think Catherine's reported there are like 130 individuals who have reported these kinds of attacks. You can just look at the pool of people and what they do and where they were and draw some pretty good conclusions as to who's behind this. And it seems like it's intentional. It seems like it is directed by Russia or somebody related to Russia. And I, I don't know that the United States government is making this an issue with Moscow yet. I don't either. And part of the reason is because this is really in a space that I think we are a little bit confused about. And this is part of the reason why these folks weren't taken seriously. Just to give our listeners a little bit of a, of a taste for this, because, you know, when you when you talk about, you know, headaches, dizziness, pressure in your head, it sounds like something that that maybe, you know, an epiphenomenon. In fact, a couple of Canadians reported this to their government, Canadians who were working in Havana, and Canadian newspapers suggested that with all of the Zika virus that was going on, this is obviously before COVID, that maybe it had been the, the spraying against mosquitoes that was causing this. So you, you can see how people might be frustrated. But in Pennsylvania, researchers actually tried to dig into this a little better. And I want to read this out to our listeners. So what they did was they took 40 of the diplomats who had reported the symptoms, and then they took 48 healthy volunteers, people who, you know, basically roughly matched these guys in age and ethnicity and education to have an apples to apples comparison. They gave them all MRIs. Overall, the diplomats studied had 5% less white matter volume in their brains than the healthy volunteers did. And certain parts of their brains, including in particular the cerebellum, which controls voluntary movement, were marked by, and here I'm reading from the Wall Street Journal coverage of this, by notable differences in brain tissue volume and the diffusion of water through the tissues. The diplomats' brains also had less connectivity in the networks responsible for hearing and visualizing and locating objects. Just a last little word about this, because I think we're going to get to the the heart of what is the challenge to us. The doctor who they interviewed says something happened to these brains to cause a difference. This is a radiology professor and one of the authors of the study. She said what happened to the brains and what caused that difference? That's not something that imaging can answer. And that's our challenge right now. Well, we know that the State Department is finally taking this seriously because Secretary Blinken said that the State Department is now starting baseline concussion testing for all U.S. officials before they head out into the field. So if you're a parent who has a kid playing sports and he contacts sports, everybody does baseline concussion testing so you can know if you got a concussion on the field. We now have to do this for our diplomats because our diplomats are in danger of traumatic brain injury just from being at station. This is a really serious matter. And, you know, Joe Biden came to the White House promising to get tough with Russia, right? We've had multiple podcasts about this where we talked about, well, now he's caved on the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. He gave uh, Putin during the summit, drew a red line around 16 sectors of the economy that were off limits to cyber attacks. I don't know, has he given him a list of 16 different US government positions that are off limits for traumatic brain injury attacks? I don't know. But I don't get the sense that the Biden administration is taking this all that seriously or actually ready to impose any consequences for these attacks. So look, I want to I want to play people our interview because we have actually Catherine Herridge, who we've been talking about from CBS News, who did all of this reporting. But I want to put something in, in people's minds before you listen to the interview. When you talk about anything like this, it feels a little bit less real, you know, especially when it's a non-visible physical injury, whether it's a, a mental, a psychological or a neurological injury, it seems less real. Think about it this way. 
and this is one of the things I mentioned to Catherine, think about some foreign bad guy standing outside our diplomatic mission and shooting at just a bunch of the people who come out. Would that be okay? Would an administration do something about that? I think the obvious answer to that is any administration, Joe Biden, Donald Trump, you know, Donald Duck would do something about this. And the question that has arisen in my mind, of course, is, as you say, Mark, what the hell are they doing about this now that they figured out that something's up? Let's find out what the hell is going on. And we've got the perfect person to do that, Danny. Catherine Herridge is a senior investigative correspondent at CBS News. But for many years, she was at Fox News Channel. She actually joined them at their inception. And prior to that, she'd been a London-based correspondent for ABC News. Catherine truly is the gold standard of national security reporting, the kind of person you like to see and credit where credit is due. The CBS investigative unit that she worked with and her producer, Andrew Bass, really have done fine, fine work and very difficult digging to bring you great information on Havana Syndrome. Here's our interview. Well, Catherine, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. So you've been doing some fascinating reporting on what's now being called Havana Syndrome. So this is something that started in Havana, Cuba about five years ago, the mysterious neurological condition that State Department personnel were coming down with. It's now spread to other countries. I think there's 130 suspected cases and six different countries. First of all, just tell us what happened in Cuba. How did this whole thing start? Well, what we learned in our reporting is that Really, there was a cluster of cases in 2016 in Cuba. We actually encountered individuals who believe they were targeted by this directed energy attack as early as the 90s. We also encountered another State Department employee who felt that they were targeted in Moscow about a decade ago. So I think the best way to approach it is that we had sort of an uptick or a cluster of cases in 2016 in Cuba. And there's a lot of mystery around this phenomenon. And I like to think of it as like a basket of neurological symptoms. And they range from loss of balance to ringing in the ears, chronic headaches, vision problems, memory problems. And really the most profound is this loss of balance. And I'm going to put on my medical hat here for a second, because what we learned from experts is losing your balance is one of the most fundamental things for you. And it's like an all hands on deck situation for your brain. And it starts to pull all the resources together to try and correct that. And as it does that, you have these tremendous deficits that are created neurologically. And these are the lasting impacts of these attacks, whether it's State Department, CIA, or the Defense Department. So Catherine, first of all, congratulations. Your reporting on this has been informative and and truly thorough. So the first thing I think is, is useful for people to hear from someone like you is how real this is. When we first heard about this, and I'm sure you heard this, and there was an article as recently as, as a couple months ago saying, this is garbage. This is, this is a form of hysteria. And, you know, it's too nebulous. Show me the weapon. How can you be sure this is happening? Talk a little bit about what you think and what experts you talked to saw that was persuasive. This just isn't a bunch of people who are listening to each other. 
Well, I'll take that in two parts. We went directly to someone who says they were impacted and had a significant paper trail that showed that they were diagnosed with a mild traumatic brain injury at Walter Reed. And he's a former CIA officer, Mark Polymeropoulos. He spent 26 years at the agency. And he says that he was the target of one of these attacks in December of 2017. And just bear with me while I sort of lay out what happened to him. He was in a job that was clearly a high priority target for Russian intelligence. He was running these covert operations that stretched all across Europe to the farthest reaches of Russia. So when he went to Moscow in 2017, all eyes of Russian intelligence were on him. And he said to us, this was not a surprise to me because that's just part of the job. He goes to the gym, a guy shows up in a leather coat, kind of winks at him like, I know you're here. Like, this is all very spy world. Nothing bothered him at all until that evening in his hotel room. And he said he woke up and he felt like he was on a carnival ride. He was just spinning and he was so debilitated that he described having to drag himself along the carpet in the hotel room to the bathroom because he couldn't even stand up. He felt like he kept being pulled down and he felt so nauseated. He said of all of the places that he has been, this was, and he's been all over Afghanistan, the Middle East, fighting the war on terror. This was truly the most frightening experience of his entire career because he felt he had totally lost control. So it was that description from someone who's personally had that experience coupled with, and I always like to go to the documents, coupled with the paperwork that he was diagnosed by Walter Reed with a traumatic brain injury that said to me, this is not whipped up hysteria among a group of individuals who think maybe they've been affected by something. This to me made it very, very real and concrete. So this started in Havana, Cuba, which most people think of if you go back to the world of spy novels as this sort of no man's land, right, where all sorts of stuff happens. There's all sorts of nefarious characters in Havana, Cuba that could be doing things. Moscow, very similar, right? But you've reported that there were some suspected cases near the White House. So this is actually not just happening in these far off places. This has happened to U.S. officials in our nation's capital. Well, we looked at this issue with our investigative unit here at CBS, and what we learned is that there were suspected cases in over half a dozen countries, so beyond Cuba, Russia, and China. But what I found even, even more interesting, Mark, is that there seemed to be a pattern among the people who say they were affected. Many of them were working directly on Russia-related issues and issues that would thwart or frustrate Russian intentions. And I found that thread one of the most significant. It just wasn't a group of people who ran the gamut from being the IT person to being the passport person to being an intelligence operative. They all seem to have this common link to Russia. I have so many questions for you, and I, I'm, I don't know where to start. But one of the things that struck me throughout this process is, okay, you know, you've described something that's a little nebulous, I understand. But it seems to me that a lot of the people who've been affected have had a very hard time persuading their agencies and their superiors that this is real. Talk a little bit about what you've discovered about that. Well, Mark Polymeropoulos told us it took him about three years to get help at Walter Reed, and that when he went back to the CIA medical office after the trip to Moscow, where the incident happened, that they told him they didn't think it was consistent with Havana syndrome, though all of his symptoms really checked the box. 
And he finally got into Walter Reed, where they got him this diagnosis. And he said that while the CIA is far more attuned to the needs of these officers now, that they lost a lot of valuable time. When we spoke with medical professionals who are familiar with the type of damage that can be caused, they told us when you have a traumatic brain injury or a neurological injury, the most important thing is to get help quickly. And that is not what happened in Mark's case. And he showed us I know it's a podcast, so I'll do my best to describe us. He, he showed us this picture. They do a lot of art therapy to help them sort of retrain their brain and, and really kind of process what they've been through. And it was a large black canvas, and it looked like almost a gunshot with blood and, and red sort of splash onto the canvas. And it was made, he said, by one of his CIA colleagues, and they call it the gunshot. It's like the invisible wound that nobody has been able to recognize. And he said, and this to me was very profound. We all, he wished that they had been shot and that there was a visible wound so that people would more readily recognize that they were really suffering. And remember, this is happening to people who have made a commitment to serve our country, right? <laughs> I mean, they are injured in the service of our country. So you have to consider that layer as well. So here's the question everybody's wondering, which is, what is this thing that they're using, right? How are they doing this? I saw one report somewhere that said that it could have been an unintentional byproduct of electronic surveillance of, of like computers and cell phones and that they didn't realize it was going to have this impact. And now they've discovered they can weaponize this, but that initially it started as an electronic spying effort. There's all sorts of theories out there. What do we know? We spoke with Professor David Relman. He's a professor out at Stanford, and he was one of the leads on the National Academies of Sciences work on directed energy attacks. And they found that pulsed radio frequency energy was the likely explanation. Okay, so what does that mean in layperson's terms? What I learned is that it really takes a very precise recipe to cause this kind of damage. It's not accidental. It seems very purposeful. And Professor Relman told us that if the energy frequency is too high, it won't penetrate the skull and it causes a heating of the skin, sort of a burning sensation. This is not what people report. And he said, if the frequency is too low, then it goes right through the head and it doesn't cause the kind of damage that they're seeing in people like Mark Polymeropoulos, the CIA officer, former officer. So what I learned, and I'm really putting on my science hat now, is that because it's pulsed, just think about it this way, because it's pulsed, you have this rapid heating of the cells in the brain and then the cooling of the cells in the brain. And the theory is this rapid heating and cooling sets up pressure waves and it's those pressure waves that cause the damage. So to replicate that over several cases, because it seems to be a very precise recipe, that says that there's some kind of premeditation involved, right? It's not an accident. And I've heard the explanation that this may be overcollection gone wrong. But based on this idea that it's pulsed and it's sort of a finely tuned recipe, to me, that explanation just doesn't sink up. It doesn't begin to explain it. We kept asking, what does this weapon look like? And the closest thing we could get to was this 90s Russian microwave generator, sort of about the size of like a big conference room. And we use that in our report. What we understand is that the most likely version of this weapon is sort of miniaturized. And it's probably about the size of a desktop scanner now. So it's highly mobile. 
So to answer your question, what does the weapon look like? I can't say for sure, but from our reporting, it's probably about the size of a desktop scanner. I'll call it the alleged weapon, but of course they're skeptics out there. And then part two, is it an accident? I don't think it's an accident. Everything suggests that it takes really a finely tuned recipe of pulsed energy to create the kind of damage that these people say they are experiencing. So, okay, let's set aside any skepticism and let's even set aside any question about the the tools and the methodology. We can sit here and speculate till we're blue in the face, obviously, about (laughs) what the hell is up. But generally speaking, when our adversaries do things, they do things for a purpose. You know, they have a target, right? Or, you know, they're like the Chinese and they just want to collect a ton of data so they can use it to eventually, you know, compromise you. Ditto for the Russians in terms of espionage and tradecraft, but also in terms of national security. This seems like a weirdly omnidirectional attack, kind of like going outside the embassy and just trying to run down whoever walks out the front door. Have you talked to people who've given you a sense of what they think the bad guys are thinking here? The best explanation And the one that rang true to me is that it's really a weapon of psychological warfare. And what I mean by that is that it's it's not designed to hurt a lot of people, but it's designed to hurt enough people that it creates a sense of insecurity and instability and reservations about taking assignments overseas, reservations about taking assignments that involve Russia. As Mark Polymeropoulos said to us, who feels safe going overseas? You don't really understand what this is all about. And the reason that made the most sense to me is that it's classic gray zone warfare. That's this battle space between peace and conventional warfare. This is the battle space where the Russians like to play and where, frankly, they excel. So that is cyber, that is misinformation, disinformation, and I think potentially also these directed energy attacks, because there's so much mystery, and they're so debilitating. And from our reporting, it's happening to people who seem to have some nexus to Russian intelligence or efforts by the US to thwart their objectives. And when you have, you know, highly skilled government personnel, having second thoughts about taking these assignments or concerns about taking these assignments, that has a tremendous ripple effect. And that is the explanation that made the most sense to our team. You said that, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that I've read that uh, some of these attacks took place in China. Would those have been Russian related in China or is the Chinese regime using this weapon as well? I don't want to give people bad information. I found the China piece a little mysterious, actually. Hard to say. Okay whether the Chinese were sort of playing around with this idea as well, or whether another theory is that there was a concerted effort to sort of experiment with the technology, use Cuba, use China, use other places like a laboratory to perfect the weapon or to perfect the energy recipe and then bring it here to the United States if, in fact, these attacks near the White House truly were attacks uh, and not something else. Is there any way to protect people against this? When I was in the uh, Defense Department, the Secretary of Defense's office had this yellow film on the windows because, you know, we knew that the Chinese were trying to uh, read his computer screens and all the rest of it. So we have all sorts of countermeasures for all sorts of of, uh, espionage tools. Is, Is there any way to defend against this? 
Okay, so this was exactly my question. I have to add what it conjured up in my mind as well. And I can really 100% picture Mark in this as well. It's basically our officials all having to wander around with tinfoil hats. (laughs) (laughs) I can safely say I don't think it's going to come to that. I think there, there are two parts to this. One of the things we learned through our reporting is that under the new CIA director and this change in administration, there's essentially been, I want to say, a a pivot in the sense that there's a real push right now to try and develop what amounts to almost like an early warning system or a system of sensors that can help identify the, the source of a directed energy attack. And the reason that matters is it all goes back to the issue of attribution right? If we're going to say we think Russian intelligence or we think Moscow or Putin's government is behind this, then we have to have a lot of competence about the source of it. So I think that is actually a very significant step forward. Danny, I can't quite answer or Mark quite answer whether there's going to be some kind of mechanism that can prevent it. Based on what we learned, it sounds more that there will be a system that can detect it. And once you detect it, then you can take yourself out of that range. Just to sort of follow up, because of course, detection implies that obviously we're going to get some sort of a grip on this frequency and on these microwaves, which I think sounds pretty credible. You know, we've got great technology that is always advancing in this direction, but it also it, you know, implies that whoever has this, the Russians, maybe the Chinese, maybe others, maybe the Cubans even, can really move this around kind of at will. And I'm still really struck by what you said, which is, you know, this is an attempt to knock people back on their feet, right? Correct. To, to give them a sense of insecurity. Yep, desync them. Right. And I ask myself whether it's enough that we identify this and more whether we need, you know, countermeasures that can block this, can bounce this back on whoever is sending it. You know, I'm probably pushing you beyond what even our government is thinking about, but it's truly troubling. Well, when we were talking to now uh, retired CIA officer, Mark Polymeropoulos, he was, we said, so what is the hotel room like, right? Like thinking, okay, so you know, when you travel in places like that, as I have, you suspect that when you stay in a major hotel chain, there may be some surveillance on you, you know, because that's just how it works in those countries. And Mark said, the thing that stood out to me about the room is that there were mirrors everywhere. So I did a little bit more digging on that. And an expert in this area told me that his view is that the mirrors were used sort of to bounce the signal off of so it could focus in on the bed. So it's almost like a trap, felt like a trap, the way it was described to me. So again, sort of very green, uh, meditated. Senator Collins, Republican of Maine, drafted legislation, which in, in this time, it's extraordinary that anything would pass with unanimous support in the Senate which is designed to give the CIA director and the State Department secretary the ability to provide more medical help and financial help to the people who are affected. But when we interviewed her, she said, President Biden really kind of needs to take it to Vladimir Putin. He needs to make clear that if he has anything to do with this, or any knowledge of this, he's got to come clean about this. And that if we don't get the kind of answers we want, there have to be consequences. And I took that to mean sanctions, for example, something really that has some bite to follow. But I go back to this idea again about psychological warfare. And I don't know, Mark, if you agree with me, but it's so in the Russian playbook to develop something like this, which um, really plays with your mind, 
It undermines confidence in your work, the institutions you're working for, makes you second guess or hesitate. And it's something that's also at relatively low cost. So that's totally consistent with what we saw with the election interference. It's, you know, very low cost, but it can have a tremendous impact and ripple effect. Oh, no doubt. It seems like something that Moscow would do. And I think your reporting drawing together the fact that so many of the people who've been targeted were related to Russian affairs or involved in spying on Russia or Russian policy. I would assume that our government knows even in greater detail uh, how we much. How much we hope so. <laughs> yes. In greater detail of how much these people are involved in Russia policy, which would seem to indicate. And this is a regime that uses, you know, bioweapons in London. So why would they not use a directed energy weapon in Washington? It just seems uh, so obvious to me. Have you gotten any indication of whether President Biden just met with Vladimir Putin in his, in his summit? Had, had, did they discuss it? Has this, did this come up? I don't know. I don't want to give you my speculation or bad information. I simply don't know the answer to that question. So you have given me something to follow up on. And I thank you for that. <laughs> uh, I don't know the answer to that. But what I would say is just think a moment about what it's like when you really have a piercing headache. Okay. I mean, it can be very debilitating. Some of these people describe having a piercing headache like that for three years or four years or five years. I mean, it never, ever lets up. And they lose their ability to sometimes temporarily to drive. They can't concentrate for long periods of time anymore. They can't work on computers. They end up leaving the job that they've given their life to because they're just not able to function the way that they need to and used to. And on the outside, maybe they don't look that much different. But on the inside, they're really a shell of their former self. And, you know, you can think about the ripple effect on the family, coworkers, all of those things. These are events that have tremendous impact. The numbers may seem relatively small, but the impact is outsized, disproportionate to the numbers. And I'm super grateful to you for having really helped accelerate the, the seriousness with which this is taken. We've been hearing about this for a long time, and it truly is a disgrace, the way that people like Mark and others were dismissed. And, you know, again, for all the wrong reasons, they need to be taken seriously. And now they're being listened to, I would say. Now that's, I think that's one of the positive things. Now they're being listened to and they're getting, the CIAs gave us a statement. They were very publicly recognizing that these people need help and they're committed to helping them. The same thing with the State Department. But that doesn't take away the fact that some of them had to wait years for that recognition. And if you have a traumatic brain injury, time is really your enemy in this. One of the reasons why it's getting taken seriously is in part thanks to your reporting. So thank you for what you've done to uncover this, the details of this. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. We're so grateful. And I'm going to find out the answer to your question. Awesome. Well, we'll have you back on. Thanks a ton, Catherine. This is terrific. I learned a lot and it's exactly what you want out of journalism. So I'm delighted that you were able to take the time with us. Thanks a ton. So as expected, Catherine is an incredible investigative journalist. I loved working with her at Fox News, and it's no surprise to me that she's the one who dug up the most information about this and what's what's been going on. I just go back to you know the idea that someone can do this to our country and launch 
130 at least known attacks on American diplomats around the world over six years without any response whatsoever from either the previous administration or this one that we're aware of. Well, I mean, I do think they're having a hard time getting to the bottom of the technology behind this. Now, obviously, they were wrong not to take people seriously, but understanding, getting a grip on what it is that our adversaries are using to target these diplomats, what it is that they're able to move from country to country to country, apparently with impunity, is is a tough question. And what stays with me, and I said this to Catherine as well, is just what she called this, this gray zone. Colleagues at AEI have done very, very good work on this sort of gray zone conflict, but I'm still a little bit at a loss for what kind of retaliatory measures we need to engage in in order to deter the Russians and whoever else is up to this. What do you think? We have all sorts of gray zone capabilities as well. You know, we have great offensive cyber weapons that we haven't really been using all that effectively uh, to deter them in cyberspace. But theoretically, you could find out what area of the Russian government is behind this and launch a retaliatory strike of some kind in cyberspace. There's lots of things short of uh, open conflict that allow you to retaliate or simply sanctions on the entities that are doing this. We, you know, it's been six years. We should know a lot at this point about it. So two things. Number one, Joe Biden has said that he does not want to use sanctions as much. So that which is, as Thomas Jefferson said, you know, one of the most important tools short of war is economic sanctions. That is, in fact, increasingly being taken off the table. But number two, one of the things that the Iranian government has perfected over the last four decades is this question of who done it, right? Who was responsible? Was it Hezbollah? Or was it the Iranians? Was it Hamas? Was it the Iranians? Who's targeting us in Iraq? Is it Iran's proxies or is it Iran? And the Russians have gotten really good at this. And you saw this with the recent cyber attacks, you know, with Joe Biden saying, well, if we you know, know that the Russian government had anything to do with this, at a certain point, you got to say, if it has anything to do with your country, we're going to hold you responsible. Otherwise, you send a message to every tin pot dictator out there that that is the right way to do business with the United States is to threaten us through proxies. Well, and also, I mean, if someone was shooting bullets at 130 diplomats around the world and injuring them that way, you certainly would be sure that we'd be responding in some way to that. You know, why should we make a concession to their gray zone type of attack, which is as debilitating as being shot, as Catherine described? It's like, imagine having the worst headache of your entire life and it lasts for three years. This is serious stuff that's being done to these people. And we owe it to them. We owe it to everybody who serves abroad and who could be targeted in this way to impose consequences on whoever is doing this. But it also raises another issue, Danny, which is this whole element of surprise and the technologies that we don't know that our adversaries had. The unknown unknowns, as my old boss, the late Donald uh, Rumsfeld used to say, this is an unknown unknown. We didn't know that we didn't know that an adversary had this capability until they unleashed it on us. And, you know, we, we had uh, Admiral Jim Stavridis on the podcast recently talking about his novel, which imagines the Third World War with Beijing in, in uh, 2034. And that unfolds in ways that are unexpected. There's a lot of things out there that we don't know we don't know. And we need to begin preparing for the unknown unknowns. 
Amen to that, Mark. I'm happy not to end on my usual note, which is, well, that was depressing because I think you've, you've outlined exactly what it is that the United States ought to be moving towards. And with that, don't hesitate. Listeners, please shoot us any questions you have, complaints, you know, send those to Mark. And don't forget to listen, review, share the podcast with all your friends, your enemies, and your mother-in-law, no matter which she is. <laughs> Take care, folks. Bye. Our producer is Alexa Santry, and a special thanks as well to Olivia Leslie and AEI's digital strategy and video teams. Let us know what topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing us at whatthehellataei.org. Or you can reach us on Twitter. I'm at D Pletka. And I'm at Mark Thiessen. That's Mark with a C. Please rate and review the podcast. If you like the show, subscribe, share it, comment on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Thanks for listening. Um.